we are under attack. If you are awake, you know that today governments all around the world are crushing our personal freedom and civil liberties. What's happening today is nothing new. If you know history, you know that every time a government it becomes too big, it becomes tyrannical and it starts pushing its communist, socialist and Marxist agenda on the society. Inevitably, every time society collapses. This has happened many times in history and today is happening on a global scale. To help you navigate these crazy times, today I'm interviewing Lorenzo Rey, Venezuelan entrepreneur and Bitcoin maxi that has experienced firsthand in his own life the collapse of society in Venezuela. In our conversation, we draw scary parallels between what happened in Venezuela during the communist regime and what's happening today, right now. How you can use Bitcoin to protect yourself from hyperinflation and crazy government policies, and also how El Salvador is open for everybody. Before we start, if you want to spread the word about Bitcoin and freedom and you want to launch a podcast, make sure to reach out to me or check out my wife's website. You'll find all the links down below in the description box. With that being said, let's jump right in. Okay, Lorenzo, you ready to start? I'm ready. Okay, let's talk about Venezuela. You awesome. told me you are from Venezuela and you live throughout the yeah. collapse of uh, the country and the society there. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Well, where do you want to start? So how did you experience uh, hyperinflation? How old were you? And at what point you started understanding what was happening? That's a great question. So I was born and raised in Venezuela and all throughout my childhood, inflation was a part of things. I mean, you were used to prices doubling every year, for example. So that, that was just normal, you know? I mean, you, you heard, uh, you know, older people complaining about it, inflation, blah, 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 but you never felt like there was a solution for that. It was something that we have to live with. I, I would be at school and every year I knew things would double in price. We would get new bills. You know, and that's just how life was, and people were kind of used to it in some in some regard. Um, so inflation was there uh, for a long time. I remember everyone in Venezuela talks about the Viernes Negro, which is the Black Friday, which is different from the U.S. Black Friday. This is a, the Black Friday in Venezuela was the the date in which the currency first devaluated, because for decades Venezuela was like the you know, the best place in Latin America. Everyone was moving there. Because of but the oil. Oil and stuff, oil money. Venezuela was the, I mean, the Venezuelan culture is very diverse. There are Portuguese, Chinese, Argentinian, people, Italians, Germans, people from all over the world. Uh, I mean, your, your childhood friends, all their parents are from different countries because everyone was moving to Venezuela during the 20th century. And so um, the, the thing is that we grew up with, inflation as part of you know daily life but you didn't think there would be a solution for that but oh i, I forgot we were talking about black friday so black friday is in 1983 i think mm -hmm. which is the first time the currency evaluated venezuela was great mm -hmm. but there were a lot of problems that were beneath and it all exploded in 83 and from 83 until now inflation has been a part of venezuela but it, it kind of accelerated over time 
And so in 99, 98, the Communist Party takes over. Well, they didn't call themselves communists, they're socialists, whatever, they're communists, and they're still ruling the country. And so uh, from 98, 99 onwards, inflation, you know, exploded uh, much more rapidly than it was, uh, than it was happening before. But it was still something that Venezuelans could manage. We still had oil money. So the uh, Venezuelan economy up until 2017 or 16 was all a lie. Why? Because the dollar market was controlled by the government. I mean, the government had enough dollars to sell them at a discount to the, to the population. And so everything in Venezuela had extremely cheap prices, but they were fake prices because they were subsidized by the government. So, for example, let's say you're Coca-Cola. Actually, I worked in Coca-Cola. Okay. When I graduated as an engineer, I worked there for a year, year and a half. So Coca-Cola needs uh, to buy, obviously, the, the materials to make the Coca-Cola. So, for example, the, the metal you know, cans mm-hmm. or the plastic bottles and all this kind of stuff. So the way you, as a company, you would do this in Venezuela is that you would uh, go to the government and you would buy some dollars and they would sell it to you cheap. And then with those dollars, you would go to foreign providers and you would buy the plastic and you would buy the cans, you would buy all that. And so in your price structure, you are already having uh, unreal or fake prices because they were subsidized by the government. So a lot of people don't think about this. People thought that only government services were subsidized. But private companies are not. No, they are. Because everything they buy, because in Venezuela, it's a Latin American country, there's not a lot of production of things there. I mean, Venezuela was kind of an exception. There was a lot of production there. But still, you know, all Latin American countries import technology. You need to buy machines to set up your factory. You don't manufacture those in Venezuela. You bring them from other countries. And when you would do that, you would go to the government, you get the discounted dollars, mm-hmm. 90% discount or something like that. It was crazy at times. So throughout the years, the government created different programs to sell dollars with different amount of discounts to different individuals, you know? It were, they were even accessible to regular people. So up until 2008, as a Venezuelan, you could go to the government and they would give you $3,000 uh, cash, $3,000 in credit card, or $5,000 in credit card, so you could go travel. And they would sell it to you at such a discount that you would go to Miami or to Europe and spend $8,000, and everyone was like, what's going on with Venezuela? These guys are rich or How's what? How is that possible? How is this possible? It's all being subsidized by the oil industry. But obviously, that didn't last long because, the, unfortunately, the policies, the oil production kept going down and down and down. Eventually, the government didn't have enough dollars to support all the subsidy. And so they start closing avenues. So the $3,000 coupon now became $400. Now companies who had, I don't know, $10 million uh, cap, they went down to five, then to two, then to one. And so companies with the demand, they started to buy half of their uh, materials Mm -hmm. with the subsidized dollars, another half with black market dollars, which is not black market, it's real market dollars, you know? I mean, the government is a subsidized market. The black market is the actual market. So as this uh, continued to happen and the government continued to print trillions and trillions of bolivars, which is the local currency, we started experiencing, hyper, experiencing hyperinflation in the, I would say, 2015, 14, is when it actually became hyperinflation. And so in 2016, the entire thing collapsed where you couldn't, I mean, bank POSs didn't work because they didn't have enough zeros. Uh, everything came down. All government subsidy programs that kind of uh, stopped existing. And Venezuela had like a big reset. 
since 2017, there's been like a big reset in Venezuela right now. Venezuela is much better right now than it was six years ago because of the fact that, I mean, it's unfortunate because a lot of people suffered. A lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah. A lot of people left the country. I think there are six million Venezuelans who left. Uh, and most Venezuelans right now are in extreme poverty. I actually visited Venezuela uh, a month ago, spent two weeks there. And I also went last year for a month uh, because I still have businesses there, family, my father, mom. So. Uh, so six million out of how many people? 30 million. 30 million. Oh, wow. It's yeah. like, what is it? 20%? 20%, something like that. Yeah. Okay. They, they just left. And they're all in Spain, uh, U.S., and mostly in Colombia, Chile, Argentina, and all these countries and stuff. Because, I mean, I mean it's ridiculous. You saw your savings evaporate. Like, if you would to buy a million dollars in Bolivares 10 years ago, you would have left off a penny right now. That's how much the, the Bolivar devaluated. Like, it really evaporated. What we saw happen with the Luna last year, we, we went to zero in, same like, thing. a day. Same thing happened with the Bolivar, you know? Like, you, your savings disappeared. And so... But since six years up until now, uh, the government is still in power, but they kind of, this is my assumptions, I don't really know, mm -hmm. but it seems like they understood that, they, if they, that if they wanted to continue with their enforcing their socialist policies, they would eventually lose power. And so what we are experiencing in Venezuela right now is sort of an, an pseudo-anarchy because they still control the important things in the oil industry and they, where they seem to be happy with that and they're not getting too much into the lives of people, which is what socialists normally do. They want to control prices. They want to control what you do as a business. Mm -hmm. They're no longer doing that. So right now in Venezuela, we have some sort of anarchy, which has, his, its, good, has its good things mm -hmm. because now you can set up a, a business and you can accept dollars, which were illegal, you know, 10 years ago. People bought dollars, but you know it was illegal. So you wouldn't offer uh, a coffee shop to pay in dollars. They would be like, no, whoa, whoa. You might be a government agent, you know? Because they would do that. They would right. go a government agent, try to pay in dollars. If they accept, hey, here's your fine. This is illegal. So wow. you were kind of scared of that before. Right now, nobody's, nobody's scared of using any currency. People are using Bitcoin. People are using USDT. USDT is the biggest, you know, I would say the biggest currency in Venezuela or maybe, you know, competing with US bank accounts. Uh, there's a lot of Bitcoin usage, but mostly because there are a lot of miners in Venezuela and a lot of people buy Bitcoin as a savings mechanism, but nobody's using Bitcoin really for payments in Venezuela. They're using USDT via Binance. Binance is like the biggest winner of this anarchy state in Venezuela. Venezuelans don't have access to USD bank accounts. So there's like the upper class in Venezuela uh, who have European passports or who have US visas. And so they travel, they open U.S. bank accounts, and then they can use those in Venezuela via a payment network called Zelle. Zelle is like a USD payment network between U.S. banks. Uh -huh. You can send dollars without fee uh, easily between banks. So everyone from the upper class in Venezuela does that. You go to any shop, especially in higher class, higher, higher you know, fancier places in Venezuela, they will all take USD via Zelle. But that's... I mean, 10% of the population have access to that. The rest of the population don't have USD bank accounts. So Binance saw an opportunity there, and they opened Binance accounts to any Venezuelan who wants one. And you can receive USDT there, or USDC, or any other stable coin. So that now has become the norm in Venezuela, and people have... I mean, a lot of Venezuelans 
just think that they have a USD bank account with Binance. And they kind of know that there's some crypto stuff going there, but they don't really know. And so a few months ago, I started a series called Living on Bitcoin in my, I started doing this whole uh, content creation thing like six, seven months back. It's been doing really well. It's all in Spanish. So I have a series called Living on Bitcoin. And I went to Venezuela and I proved that you can live on Bitcoin in Venezuela, but mostly you have to send Bitcoin to Binance and then pay via USDT in all shops because they all accept USDT via Binance. So it's kind of a crazy situation because we experienced hyperinflation, the entire system collapsed, but for the past six years, it's a pseudo-anarchy thing where people, a lot of people avoid taxes because they use different currencies. They use Bitcoin, they use stable coins, they use cryptos, they use shit coins, they use Bitcoin, and you kind of just go with the flow and do what you want. Uh, it's very strange what's happening right now, but you cannot deny that there's an improvement from six years ago, you would go to any supermarket, there would be no food, everything would be empty, everybody would be closing shop, versus right now, you go to Venezuela, every time you go, there's more businesses, more shops. You go to supermarkets, they're full. But now prices are real. Now Venezuela is not this place where you would travel and everything would be 90% cheaper than in, in the US. That's no longer the case. Now most things are more expensive than in the US. You buy food, like food is more expensive in Venezuela than here in El Salvador, for example. Prices are now honest because the country has no, very little production of things. So a lot of the things that you buy are imported mm -hmm. and so they're gonna be more expensive than in the US. For me personally, my entire family and my entire uh, st yeah, structure of my life was destroyed by this because I have a big family, we were all together and now everyone's in different countries. Families in France, in the US, in Spain, in Argentina, in Chile, so it, that's very sad to see. But in hindsight, I also think that that would have happened anyways because the entire Venezuelan economy was fake. It was all subsidized by the government. And right now I see the forces of the free market, you know, helping sort of rebuild slowly. And so a lot of businesses in Venezuela are doing better right now than they were six years ago. So for example, I left Venezuela like four years ago and my uh, businesses in Venezuela are doing better right now, and I mostly manage them remotely versus when I was there. And, you know, more and more, you can see people having access to a superior currency than the Bolivar, either with Bitcoin, with stable coins, or with the US dollar. And so Venezuela has been growing for the past three or four years, slowly, most people are still very poor, but at least somebody who is poor right now, they can open a Binance account in a cheap phone and they can receive dollars via USDT versus six years ago, they would receive Bolivares. Next day, they would be worth half. So, so you know what's funny about this, uh, this story that you're telling me, which is terrible for the people, very yeah. sad, but I cannot stop but thinking that you're kind of describing what's happening in the United States or all over the world, if you think about <laughs> yeah. it. Because in Venezuela, they were the government had these excess dollars thanks to oil, and they were and they were selling those to the population at a discounted price. Yeah. Well, isn't the same thing when the Fed prints money? Yeah, <laughs> and gives it to the people. Just another way to give money and inflate the economy. And then at some point, what happened in Venezuela is that reality cut out. Hit exactly. Okay, and I think that's happening also in the United States. Absolutely right. So, Another thing that's very interesting is that 
everybody is used to inflation. It's like it's programmed in our brain. So maybe in Venezuela, you guys were expecting a doubling of the pricing every year. But maybe in the United States, now they're used to pay things 5, 10, 15 percent more yeah. every year. So it seems to me like what you have described is the same thing that's happening right now in the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, everywhere in the world, just maybe slower for different reasons. And so how does Bitcoin comes into play into this? What was your opinion? That's a great question. I think the way to answer that is to tell you a little bit of how I learned about Bitcoin being in Venezuela. Let's start from there, yes. So I, I never forget, because I have this friend, we're still, I mean, I haven't talked to him in a while. I think he lives in France, but he's a college friend of mine called Luis. He's the first person to ever mention Bitcoin to me. It was back in 2013, I was in college. In Spanish, it's called Ingeniería Electrónica, which is electronic yeah. engineering, but it's like electrical engineering, computer science equivalent in the US. So <clears throat> we were in electronics laboratory, and I saw him and he was doing something in his computer. I was, what are you doing there? I'm just trading Bitcoin. What's, what's Bitcoin? No, it's just, it's like a casino. You, you, you know, you, yeah, you buy and sell, you can make money. It was like, ah, oh, whatever. And I remember back then, I've always been a tech geek and I follow, you know, US uh, tech blogs like The Verge or Wire mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff. And I remember that year I saw a post, Bitcoin first hits $1,000. And I was like, well, that's the thing that he told me. That's crazy. It was some sort of online gambling th thing, I thought. I didn't pay attention to it. In 2016, the system is collapsing. And I start hearing people talking about mining Bitcoin or talking about buying Bitcoin to buy dollars. And I was like, Bitcoin? This is what Luis mentioned me, right? And I started digging into it. And I was like, oh, this digital credit. I'm like, what's this? And so I go, uh, eventually find the, the white paper. And it sort of happens that my career makes it so that I can understand it. And my mind was blown. I was like, what the hell is this? I spent a whole week, you know, learning all the technicalities about it, thinking about how this can be wrong. My first thought was, this is not possible. I have to find the, the, the flaw it's too here. Good to be true. It's That's too good to be true. That's what you Exactly. I, I will find the, the flaw here and then everything makes sense. And up until then, I've always been very deep into technology, science mm -hmm. and stuff but not that much into economics. So uh, learning about this made me ask the question, okay, what is money? I need to learn what is money for me to fully understand this and, uh, and see if I can find the flaw. And so I went the pool rabbit hole. I spent, I don't know, a few months deep researching this stuff, learning about economics, and then a bunch of things clicked. I, I started to understand why what was happening in Venezuela was happening. Like, a lot of people don't understand I think most people don't understand inflation. And a lot of people are not aware of government printing money, which is something that we didn't, I mean, the explanations we heard all of our lives about inflation never mentioned printing currency. Something like, like governments hide that in a way as to not make it obvious. Like, we didn't even know why do they print money, how much they make. It's sort of something that you just accept. This is money and that's it. Oh, the, the currency devaluated, here's the new, uh, $10,000 uh, bills or 10,000 Bolivar's bills, then $100,000 Bolivar's bills and whatever. So you, you never, you know, think about this thing. So this situation made me think about all this. And after a few months, I didn't have a, one Satoshi and I already knew how miners work, how mining nodes work. You know, I set up a Bitcoin node, no money there, but you can sync the blockchain with your node. You can do everything. I learned so much about, about economics. 
And that's how I learned of it. And since then, I've been fully in love and fully immersed into it. But what Venezuelans were using Bitcoin for was to escape, you know, the disaster. And they were doing it in two ways. First way is mining Bitcoin. And I actually became a Bitcoin miner and I sold mining equipment. And it was one of the first things that I made decent money on. Why mining was so important in Venezuela is because another thing that in Venezuela was always fake and subsidized is services. Energy. Energy. So electricity in Venezuela is basically free. Even today, it's still free. When I say free, it's because your monthly bill is going to be, I don't know, two cents, three cents. And if you don't pay, they will not cut it. You can spend six months and they will not take it away. And then you eventually pay it. It's ridiculous. And so it's like the most, you know, profitable mining you can do. Wow. So I, then I learned that people were mining Bitcoin in Venezuela all the way since 2012, 2013. So people started mining. These people, ah, they became millionaires or something. I don't know. You can mine and get basically 100% profits from the mining because the energy is free. But not because it's really free. It's because the government is subsidizing it. And so... I would argue hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans started mining. Everyone had some machines on their roof, some, some were hidden. Because the government learned about this, because they obviously run the energy grid. They run it with socialist policies, so it's very poor, very bad. So Venezuela, till this day, experiences blackouts all the time. There are sections of the country who have regimes of 12 hours of electricity, 12 hours without electricity. And... Obviously, they're seeing their mediocre managed grid hit by all these people who suddenly are, you know, consuming all this energy. What's going on? Oh, they're mining Bitcoin. So now they start going after people. So if your electricity consumption went up more than some threshold, they would send the government police to your house. To check would, what's going on. What's going on. And they would find the machines and take them from you. So <clears> I had clients who, love, I had one client who uh, put, uh, I sold him 10 machines in an apartment. Uh, and I told him, man, 10 is kind of, his apartment is too small for 10 machines. You know, what's going on right now? Ah, it's okay. I'll do this anyway. The police got to his apartment and stole his 10 machines. But now that has become a government business. Now the government is the one who's mining Bitcoin. And so there are uh, evidence of government buildings full with tens of thousands of machines. And they're mining ridiculous amounts of Bitcoin. And they mine other currencies as well. It's crazy what's going on with mining. But that's a different story. The thing is that Venezuelans were using Bitcoin. They were using Bitcoin miners to make money to help them with inflation. I mean, electricity is free. If I make a, let's say, $2,000 investment and those machines were making you $50 a day, get it back and then you make a lot of profits. So a lot of people, as their jobs were collapsing, their machines are still making $50 a day. Mm -hmm. So it's great. The second way people were using Bitcoin is to buy dollars or to just get rid of their bolivars. So as I said, the dollar in Venezuela was illegal. And so the only legal way to acquire them was through the government programs, which were limited, and they sold dollars at a discount. But everyone needed to escape the Bolivar. The Bolivar is this thing you want to get rid of as soon as you get it. And so one of the ways in which you could do that in higher amounts was with Bitcoin, especially because the big savior for the Venezuelans who were trying to escape the Bolivar was the exchange that couldn't, the, the recently closed doors, local Bitcoin. I don't know if you ever used local Bitcoins. 
Well, local Bitcoins is a peer-to-peer marketplace. They just shut down this year. Uh, I made a video about it. That was the OG peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange. And since there were so many Venezuelans mining Bitcoin, they wanted to, you know, buy things, they would sell Bitcoin. So the liquidity of Bitcoin in Venezuela was insane. And so you could go to local Bitcoin and you choose somebody who was selling Bitcoin, they would take your Bolivar transfer in, you know, national banks. And then with those Bitcoin, you could sell them for USD in cash, still to the peer-to-peer marketplace, or you could sell them for USD bank accounts in the US through the same marketplace, or you could just hold your Bitcoin and have them as a savings mechanism. And so, again, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans were doing this to basically escape the Bolivar, to get rid of Bolivars. And so those are the two ways in which Venezuelans started using Bitcoin. And that's one of the reasons why I think there are so many Venezuelan Bitcoiners in the space. Like every country I go, there's some Venezuelan, you know, Bitcoiner doing something, you know, organizing meetups, making content, doing whatever, because our, our currency was collapsing, as our system was collapsing, Bitcoin was one of the options that we had to fight, you know, against to protect the, against, to protect against, against these things. Interesting. Hi. How did you get to El Salvador? What brought you here then? That's a great question. So I left Venezuela in 2019, end of 2019, I think. Since 2016 until 2019, we have been experiencing this sort of anarchy state. Like everything collapsed. Mm -hmm. Now it's the opportunity to rebuild. So I, as I mentioned it to you, I have different businesses, not only on Bitcoin, uh, you know, car services, water, and uh, you know, distributing, you know, products, all kinds of different stuff. But in 2019, something happened where we had to leave the country for a while. There was some dangerous stuff. I can tell you that story some other time, but we left for a while for the US and being outside of Venezuela, we started creating new things. So we came up with this app for football fans and we got, got investment. So I ended up going to Qatar and I lived there for a while working on this business. And I was still doing that when they announced the Bitcoin law here in El Salvador. As soon as they announced the Bitcoin law, me and my business partners were like, I oh, mean, this is awesome. I mean, one of my business partners, Carlos, he was like, Lorenzo, you have to go to El Salvador. We may be able to do something there. You're the Bitcoin guy. You know everything about Bitcoin. You de- I've developed wallets. I've developed remittance solutions. I've developed uh, charity programs in Venezuela. I have a, a lot of experience developing things for Bitcoin. Also have my shitcoin faith, but the concepts oh. of uh, programming for Bitcoin, you know, you like it or not, they apply to, to other currencies. And so it was like, you have to go to El Salvador. We have software development teams. We have, you know, we thought we could potentially do something here, either with a bank or, or some, do something. And I'm like, bro, I'm here in Qatar. Well, I was in Turkey, actually, because well, when I was there, it was kind of between Qatar and Turkey mm-hmm. because of visa reasons. I was over on that side of the world. They announced the Bitcoin law. I discussed with my partners. I was like, some of you guys should go. Well, it has to be you, you're the tech guy, you're the Bitcoin guy, you should go. So I booked a, a ticket for a month to come here to El Salvador. This is June or May or June, 2021. Yeah, I think June. So this is before the Bitcoin law went into place. 
but after it was announced. And I just came here to see what was going to happen, talk to people. I arrived here in, in that month. A lot of crazy things happened. You know, I met these different talks about Bitcoin in different places, got to meet certain people. And eventually, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up, you know, working as a consultant to build the Chivo wallet, which is the government wallet. I had to rearrange all my personal things with the company over there and the other businesses. I focused entirely on this thing so that we could launch it. We launched it and since then I've continued to live here in El Salvador. I still work as a consultant for them, but not to the same degree that I was back then, which is project management, dealing with all this stuff. But everything Bitcoin, I still oversee it and I still work as a consultant to make sure that everything Bitcoin, you know, happens the way it needs. So you went from an inflation economy to an economy now with sound money. Yeah. Or that is getting to be on sound money completely. How has your experience here in El Salvador been so far? What have you seen changing? Because you have been here uh, one or two years right now? Yeah, almost two years. Almost two years, sir. So how have you experienced the country changing? Yeah, that's that's a great question because I have fallen in love with El Salvador. My girlfriend is Salvadorian. Uh, I probably will apply for citizenship. I, I love this country. And one of the things that make me love this country so much is that this country is like a little Venezuela that's where everything is going better and better. So I grew up in a country where everything was going worse. Every year, like, my default thing since I was born was every year is going to be worse than the last year. But we will just manage. That was my experience. Uh, also, Venezuela has always been competing against Colombia and El Salvador for the country with the highest murder rates, you know? And so knowing that they fixed that here, it's like, like I, all my life I thought that was a problem that didn't have a solution. Like this is just like an American gangster or, or, or you know, criminals. This has no solution. They solved it here in El Salvador. But the environment in El Salvador, like I look out the window and I would think I'm in Caracas, Venezuela. Like the, the, the mountains, the weather, the sky, everything here is exactly like in Venezuela. Probably even the architecture. Architecture, yeah. Right, yeah. Architecture is exactly like in Venezuela. So it really makes me feel at home, but in a place where it's so weird to feel like I'm in Venezuela, but th- knowing that every year things are getting better. It's, you know? get better. it's like, well, what's going on? And you go to any Latin American country, it's not only the language, it's like, Culturally, there are so many similarities. I was talking to my girlfriend recently because I have my nephews. They go to school and they learn songs, you know, children's songs. Mm-hmm. And so we all sing the same songs, but they change the lyrics a little bit. And so we joke about your lyrics are worse. Our lyrics are... And it's the same culture. Same thing, yeah. Like the pupusa here, if you were to go to a Venezuelan person and they didn't know about El Salvador and you serve them a pupusa, what they will tell you is, hey, this arepa is kind of interesting, you know? Because it's basically the same thing, you know? Like they, they will literally say, hey, this arepa is kind of thin, it's kind of weird, but hey, it's good, it's good, you know? Pupusas and arepas are like cousins, you know? They're basically the same meal. Interesting. So, I mean, I feel at home here, Bitcoin is legal tender, things improving every single year, and, you know, feeling at home, I, I really feel at home in El Salvador. I love the country. How do you think the country is going to change? Meaning, uh, what do you think is going to be the, the, the trajectory on, of the country? We know it's going up, it's getting better. But how do you think, how do you see this developing? Like with the, in the energy sector, with mining, with geothermal energy, with security, with how they are developing the coast and surf city. What are your thoughts on that? That's also great. Uh, El Salvador is a small country. 
there are no a lot of natural resources here, which is different from Venezuela. Venezuela is so rich with natural resources that in Venezuela we could be freaking Dubai or Saudi Arabia if we wanted to. Things are just... But also a lot of people say that natural resources should be a blessing but are actually a curse. In Venezuela, they have definitely been a curse because there's so much treasure that people don't work together, but they want to get as much treasure as they can for themselves. They steal it, you know? They don't have that here, so I think that's probably a blessing. So here is going to be more of a, I would like to say, like Singapore, you know, like these countries that, you know, became developed using their brain and not their, not their natural resources, you know? So I think uh, the government has done a lot of positive things. They recently announced they removed taxes on technology uh, and that kind of stuff. Bitcoin being legal tender attracts a lot of technology companies, Bitcoin companies to move into here. Tourism, when you fix the crime problems, that immediately makes tourism a lot more, you know. Inclined to come inclined here. Inclined to safe. come here. It's let's safe. Let's you can come. Out. Exactly. Let's check yep. it out. Uh, you know, paradise, summer paradise, beaches, surf. Salvador is small, but it has so many beautiful natural things. Like, for example, in Venezuela, we have a bunch of natural things, but you also know that you have an eight-hour drive from each beautiful natural place to the other. Here in Salvador, it's a two-hour drive, one-hour drive between all these marvelous things, beautiful lakes, beautiful, you know, cascades, beautiful volcanoes, beaches, beaches, volcanoes, beaches, forest, yeah. Everything. And it's everything together. So I think tourism is going to become something that can generate a lot of revenue for the country because you can easily come here. I mean, I, I have seen flights from Miami to here for 60 bucks mm -hmm. in, uh, on you know, promotions and stuff. Normally a hundred bucks. You can come here for a week for very cheap from the U.S. and, you know, have a blast during a week, visit volcanoes, visit beautiful lakes, visit cascades. So tourism is definitely a way in which I can see it. But also in the technology sector, uh, El Salvador has a lot of call center uh, activity, I think that can continue to grow thanks to all these policies and stuff. I've noticed that Salvadorians have very good English skills compared to Venezuela. Like most Salvadorians I talk to, they, they kind of they speak some English, you know, or well, a lot of them are actually fluent in English. And I think that's one of the reasons why call centers here are so big because, you know, it's kind of like a mini India thing where you have your U.S. company, you put your call center here. And so I think that it's a multivariable uh, solution. But I, I, I mean, the best example I can think of is something like Singapore, you know, where they don't have a lot of big resources. They do have ports. They also have ports here. I don't know if ports here are as good as, for example, Panama, where they have a canal so you can cross oceans. So I, think, I agree with that. And I think that El Salvador is even in a better position than Singapore, because despite not having a lot of resources, they still have some resources. They still have some geothermal en yeah, energy the geothermal is very that, that will tap into it. And on top of that, because of the technology and Bitcoin, I think El Salvador will develop even faster than El Salvador. Than Singapore. Than, than Singapore, yeah, yes. I agree, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you allow people, when you give people safety and you allow them the freedom to pursue their own goals, there's no other uh, you know, path than development. Like the country is gonna get better and better. I have one complaint though, this is a Latin American thing. Well, I think many countries experience this as well. The city was not designed. People were just building where they could. Caracas is the same in Venezuela or Valencia, the, the different cities in Venezuela. And so 
everything is so poorly designed that the traffic is, gets insane. Like traffic here in El Salvador, especially things are developing better. People are getting more in jobs. People are moving into El Salvador. People are buying into San Salvador. People are buying cars. And so the traffic here is getting worse and worse. So right now I'm actually trying to get outside the city. They want to buy some property, you know, like uh, in La Libertad or somewhere outside the city okay. because traffic is just insane. But uh, other than that, uh, those are the negatives that come away when you develop so fast. Yeah, know? it's funny <laughs> that you say that because also when I drive here in the city, I always get confused or lost. I'm terrible. Yeah. It, it, I, I used to get lost even in uh, Florida, which is, is a great, yeah, it's even harder for me because <laughs> yeah. things don't make sense, you know, because everything has been developed. Uh, As they went randomly. over the years. In Venezuela is the same. You go through Caracas and everything. There's not even, in Latin America, I don't think there's actually a, a standard of uh, address. Like, for example, in the U.S., they have like the standards for addresses. Uh -huh. Here, no. Uh, in Latin America, so when you get by that place, you cross left you and by left, then you yeah. turn right by the other thing. It's just a mess. So, I mean, hopefully Bitcoin City happens, you know, at least in the next 10 years, I can move there. It's a planned city. I don't know. We'll see. So, so far, what has been your favorite place to, to visit here in El Salvador? Or what's your, like, family activity? I mean, beaches are great, but I think the Cuatepeque Lake, the Lago de Cuatepeque, is just so beautiful. I, I go there all the time with family, especially from August. I think from August to December, the water is, you know, sort of a greenish, light color, mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful. Uh, I mean, just so many good restaurants there, and, you know, you can go on your little boat or in your motorbike, or water bike, how do you call those? The uh, jet ski. On the jet way. ski, exactly. The jet skis. I mean, it's just a beautiful, it was one of the most beautiful places. I remember when my sister and her husband moved here, they moved here like eight months ago, I convinced them because they were living in Ecuador. And I'm like, all our families split apart. This country's great. I'm already here. Why don't you guys move here oh, with really? me and let's get the family together uh, to some capacity. Now, my brother lives in, in Orlando in the U.S. He came in December, by the way. Maybe I can convince him also to move here. But the first place I took my sister and her family to was Lake Guatepec. And when they went there, well, it's a magical place. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, that has to be my favorite place so far. But there are really so many good places here, so many great beaches. Like if you want to surf, there are best beaches for surfing, but there are also beaches where the water is more calm. You know, by the Costa del Sol, you can go with your kids and they can swim there. And I mean, there's just so many beautiful things here to do. So, yeah. So what would be your message or your advice to anybody that is listening to us right now and that's uh, curious about El Salvador, wants to visit El Salvador, is still a little bit on the fence? Uh, what would you tell them? Visit for like tourism or actually considering moving? Probably moving because a lot of yeah. people that watch the channel, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my audience is actually considering moving here. There's, they still have some reservation and... Uh, that's why I create this content to teach people yeah. the, the reality of El Salvador. So what would you tell them? Yeah, I would tell them the more you wait, the worse for you. Because there are so many people coming. Like real estate prices are going up and up yeah. and up because everyone's buying them. I'm actually in the process of uh, possibly acquiring a property. I want a place where we can have some, you know, grow some stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and have a bigger place where we can do things. But... Yeah, the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be for you because you're gonna, it's going to be more expensive for you to buy something. I think this is the best moment to come to El Salvador because the trajectory is clear. 
is getting better and better. It's going to become a developed country. But right now, it's still experiencing a lot of the problems that most Latin American countries have experienced for years, which is, you know, the, the city is poorly designed, traffic, or uh, there's no Amazon here. So when you are going to buy things, I mean, it's, it's still a Latin American country. So you're going to lose some convenience yep. in certain services if you come here. But 10 years from now, you're going to say, well, this was the best investment of my life. You know, I bought this thing for whatever. And right now it's 10x or I, there are no longer these awesome, you know, places that are all taken now. Like, for example, La Libertad in, all throughout the coast, there are still a lot of area available or things that are not developed. In 10 years, that whole place is going to be full of big buildings, big hotels, premium hotels. It's all going to be taken. Yep. So, and if you want also to live a calm life, you can come here, live by the beach, live in the mountain, very peaceful life, delicious food. The people here are wonderful. Like Salvadorians are yep. so kind. And I mean, in Venezuela, people are also very kind, but there's a difference because Venezuelans are extremely kind, but Venezuelans, I don't know how to say this in English, are confianzudo, which means like they, they talk to you as if they already know you. And as a Venezuelan, you kind of know it. Like you go into, for example, let's say you're fat and you go to buy uh, into the pharmacy and the pharmacy guy will make fun of you for being fat and he doesn't even know you. And everyone laughs about it, it's fine. And we all enjoy that. But here it's different. Here people are extremely polite, you know? So in Venezuela, it's more of a, we're already pals, kindness. Here it's more like, Mr. Lorenzo, welcome and stuff. And I kind of got used to that. So I, when I first went back to Venezuela last year, I was there and people were talking to me like if they knew me. I got used to the politeness of the Salvadorian people, you know? Uh, I mean, I love Venezuela, you know, you know uh, culture as well. But it's just funny to see that. People are extremely kind here. Uh, extremely educated. They treat you with respect. Uh, I've been treated beautifully here. I, I'm really happy. I mean, my girlfriend is Salvadorian, you know, mm -hmm. uh, she's great. And so, yeah, uh, anyone who's considering coming here, if you live in any Western country, your countries are going down. Like you've developed great societies and I think hopefully things can turn, but I don't see a way in which they will not eventually, you know, collapse. The societies, the culture, the families, the, the vices, the values of society, values of society have degraded. You know, El Salvador is a country where I think Latin America, unfortunately, also have a lot of values degraded, but not to the same degree. Like most people here are still religious, family oriented. Youth is, uh, is very influenced by Western culture, mm -hmm. Netflix and all this stuff. So the general culture is also a thing that uh, you will find in Latin America. I mean, this is not Saudi Arabia or anything like that, but structurally those things are not, you know, part of government policy or things like mm. that, you know? And so, yeah, I think you should move here immediately. You're gonna miss some conveniences, but those conveniences, the more, the longer times goes on, you gain them back. Starlink was just announced here. I bought the Starlink thing here. I'm sure Amazon or an equivalent will emerge here and all the conveniences of the first world, well, they are getting yeah. built here. And in five to 10 years, they'll all be here and they will work better than over there. So, I mean, I think this is the time to move. I agree hundred percent. Lorenzo, thank you very much. That was great. That was great. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
Hey guys, I hope this conversation opened up your eyes and didn't only scare you about what's happening today, but also gave you hope and the tools to protect yourself. With that being said, if you want to connect with the community right here in El Salvador, make sure to check out my description box down below where you'll find the links for our Facebook group and our Telegram group. The conversation in these groups are off the charts. We're also organizing meetup every time. Also guys, if you like the video and you find any value in it, please don't forget to subscribe, like, leave a comment down below. Check out the description box where you can find all the ways that you have to support the channel. Thank you so much for watching until the end and I'll see you at the next one. Bye.